because we can constantly feel like an epic fail if we are constantly telling ourselves mm. that narrative. I think so often we see it like we are prisoners to companies. I nominated myself for Forbes Under 30. I'm very open about that. To whom it may concern, welcome to the podcast, Internet Friends. This is your guide to navigating career milestones and moments of failure as you climb your way to the top, however you define that. My name is Maddie Riley and I'm your host and I'm really excited to be here because today is one of our very first episodes. But before I kick off, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please consider subscribing and joining me on this journey as we learn how to navigate our careers. Today's guest is someone who I'm extremely excited to introduce you to as she's an absolute powerhouse of a person, having had both a successful nine to five career and a side hustle turned business success story. Similar to me, today's guest started her career in ad agencies where she was climbing the corporate ladder as a suit. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's essentially the kind of non-creative client facing role in agency land. And it's no surprise that she rose through the ranks quickly from account executive to an account director. She's worked for big startups and global ad agencies like TBWA, leading projects on brand strategy, social content, short form documentaries, TV ads, like you name it, she's done it. But it was in the last few years in the corporate world when she took on a role that was quite outside of her comfort zone, working in new biz development, where she was responsible for finding clients and and growing the startup that she joined. It was in this role in new business development where she had that entrepreneurial aha moment that we always hear about and found an opportunity to build something of her own. So she left in 2020 her full-time job to build Fuck Being Humble, a platform and training consultancy business that empowers people to embrace their achievements and promote themselves confidently. She's since gone on to achieve some of the biggest career successes that some people might wait their entire career to achieve. She's been named Forbes 30 Under 30. She's published her debut book titled Fuck Being Humble, Why Self-Promotion Isn't a Dirty Word, and even delivered a TEDx talk on why the world needs to be less humble. And all of this before the age of 30. So it's no wonder her friends have dubbed her the career-driven one, which is something that I can personally relate to. But today is about not looking at this polished version of successful promotions, TEDx talks, mentions in Forbes. Today, we're going to dig into the not so shiny moments of her career and understand what she's learned about failure and success and what advice she can share from her journey. Please welcome Steph Sword Williams. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. Um, What I wanted to do is kind of kick off in maybe a little bit of an uncomfortable area. I wanted to talk about failure. And I've personally had like a bit of a love-hate relationship with failure itself. You know, as a part of my career, I have had a a lot of moments where I can now retrospectively look back and go, okay, those were crucial sliding door moments, even though they were pretty shitty at the time. But retrospectively, it's actually made me have a moment to pause and kind of reflect and I guess redirect myself down a path that inevitably led me to a much more successful place. So I guess what I wanted to start off asking is kind of understanding like what's your perspective on failure and what does it mean to you and like how do you think failure has sort of shaped your career so far? So for me personally, I think when I think of failure, it really is a bit of a spectrum when it comes to how you assess that. I often try and tell people when I'm working with Foot Being Humble, when I'm teaching people about how to get past these obstacles we have in our career is to actually assess what a failure means to you because we can be our own worst critics sometimes Mm. and actually a mistake you're dubbing as a failure and I think it's really important that we don't 
kind of confuse the two because we can constantly feel like an epic fail if we are constantly telling ourselves Mm. that narrative. I mean, for me personally, there's been moments in my career where, particularly running Fuck Being Humble, you know, my own business, figuring out things by myself. But I would say that each time I've experienced a failure, I've learned that it absolutely gives me more perspective. Mm. There could always be worse situations and that it's not something that's ever going to get in my way. So I suppose the way I would look at a failure is more like it's a speed bump, you know, or it's like a bump in the road or just an obstacle that maybe I didn't see coming. But I also think it's really important to give yourself the credit of like, you can't know everything Mm. and that's also okay. I think we really beat ourselves up when we get things wrong. And actually it's like, we were not born born into this world knowing every element that we should know. And, And I think it's just human to experience these little setbacks or things that happen and and it absolutely should never define you your value or what you can go on to do yeah I think it's hard like you can't help but in the moment feel like it's your entire world and I think like at the moment like you know I talked about in my first um, episode I've just been maybe done it for my job like it feels like the end of the world in terms of my career at the moment but I'm constantly trying to remind myself that this failure is just that chance to redirect it's that chance to like find the next big thing like your career is kind of a marathon not a sprint but I would also argue that that's not your failure mm. well failed. yeah I guess you're, you're right failed. that was yeah. an external factor that you couldn't control yeah and I think that's something that I often say to people when we're reviewing what a failure is and isn't is that that, that wasn't that you didn't deliver that was the fact that the business and mm. the wider industry that you're working in is making significant cuts that's Mm. not that's an external factor that you couldn't control so my advice to you and you should absolutely remember this is that like this I wouldn't class as a failure I would just class as a a reroute a redirection Mm. and it's not something that was in your control necessarily yeah you're very right (laughs) (laughs) easier said than done I think when you're in the thick of it but like you're so right I think like something that someone told me about redundancy and I'm going a little bit off topic here but like you should always frame it as your role was made redundant, not I was made redundant. Yeah, and I think absolutely. like that's something that I try to carry through in interviews now. So I'm yeah. like making sure they, they they think about it in that mindset as well. Um, talking about careers, I guess I wanted to jump into that a little bit. I know you've talked about, you know, in the first part of your career, especially in your ad agency days, you jumped between six jobs in seven years. And I think um, in the past, something like this on a CV would have been conceived as maybe a lack of loyalty or patience. You know, I've personally been in the UK now for what, like three and a half years. I've had three jobs. This job I'm going to get next is going to be my fourth job. And you can't help but think, oh, what does that look like? But I equally know that I've been able to get the biggest pay rises and the biggest title changes by moving roles. I guess I wanted to understand, like, how's your experience been with job hunting and like, what has that helped you to achieve that you otherwise maybe wouldn't have? Yeah, I'm always really open about the fact that I had six jobs in in Mm. seven years because for me, I think it's an important reminder, especially to people who find themselves in toxic situations Mm. and environments where they're not growing or learning. We can so often get trapped in this mindset that I can't move on, I'm not good enough, I don't know what's out there for me. When in reality, I think I've just always looked at it as like, if you don't, give me what I I value for Mm. myself or what I believe I deserve, then why should I stay? You know, and I think so often we see it like we are prisoners to companies. Mm. And I've always been much more of the mindset that this is a two-way street and I'm going to spend five days a week minimum Mm. 
It wasn't four day weeks when I was working yeah. full time, working on this. Um, and so if that's the case, then I want to be in an environment where I'm growing and I'm learning. And I was literally just listening to a podcast on the way here where they were sort of saying like the best jobs aren't always the ones that you earn the most money. Actually, they can be the ones that you learn and gain the most from. And I think for me personally, yes, there were things like promotions and pay rises that didn't come to fruition, which was part of the reason I moved on. But at the same time, it was very often when I was feeling a bit stagnant, I was either asking for more responsibility and not getting it. I was being put on the same accounts or not necessarily getting to develop skills in certain areas or be encouraged to develop skills in certain areas. And for me, it was like, well, then why stay? So I suppose for anyone listening, I think it's okay to move jobs and it's definitely okay to at least be looking like at least know what's out there I think the generation that would say you should stay in one job and you need to get your retirement and your pension and all of those things that's fading out so much like that is my parents generation but you know I, I don't think it's the definition of success and it's definitely not the definition of success for me and, and a def for, for me personally I actually have realized particularly as a founder how much variation I need and if I'm not getting variation, then actually I, I need to find a new environment. Like somebody once said to me, you need to feel like um, the worst person in the room. Otherwise, you're not in you're not in a room where you can grow. And that often came back to me when I was working full time was like, am I not that I was the best person in every <laughs> room? But, you know, like, am I learning enough? Am I growing? Am I being pushed? And, and when I didn't feel like I was, I, I moved on and mm. I have no shame at all about it. And in terms of interviews and stuff, I was very transparent and just said, for me personally, I didn't feel like I was getting the opportunity to grow skills or I wanted more responsibility or, you know, things like structural changes. They're often things that you can't control totally. as to why that might mean your role's not as enjoyable as it was when you first joined. So there's always ways to deliver that information. You just need to decide what you feel is most relevant or maybe most appropriate for the interview you might be going in for. The other piece is like that perspective piece. Like for me, I've worked in, I've worked in creative agencies. I've worked in startups. I've now worked at one of the biggest kind of tech organizations. And I think going into interviews, that is something that is picked up a lot is the fact that I do have this kind of non-linear progression that gives you a different perspective, I guess, on particularly obviously coming from a marketing background. So I think, yeah, thinking about our careers, not as kind of a corporate ladder, but more of a kind of like journey where you can kind of hop around um, any which way um, and direction that you kind of please. What I wanted to kind of chat to you about next is something you briefly touched on, and that's the idea of kind of working in toxic environments. And I think most of us listening probably would have had some type of experience with a toxic workplace, whether that is, you know, being bullied by your line manager, being, uh, you know, gaslit by management, having your colleagues steal your work, or just being made to feel like this big. And I know personally, like the gaslighting piece is something that I've experienced and something that is probably one of the worst environments because it really starts to erode your confidence. And especially when you're earlier in your career and you're trying to build that confidence up from ground up, I guess I'd love to hear from you if you have an experience from your career that you can touch on that's around kind of navigating a toxic work environment and how you've since not let that impact your confidence and kind of self-worth in the workplace. Yeah, so my first two jobs were were very interesting, shall we say. They definitely developed my resilience and thick skin. Um, I think my first boss, I had, uh, it was just extremely toxic. Um, he was, 
I mean, it's really hard to describe it, but he would swear at us all the time. He would say things like, you're not worth the air I breathe, like just <laughs> like so not okay things. There was no HR department when they eventually brought in someone to help. The HR department was too scared to say anything to them. You know, it was, there was just, there were so many issues. But because it was my first job out of university, I didn't know any better. So mm. I, I stayed there for possibly too long, but eventually... After around 11 months, I plucked up the courage to kind of walk away. And I actually got three job offers on the table, which is, was a really early um, sort of experience for me that to never stay in an environment that doesn't serve me. Mm. Because if a graduate level with 11 months experience, I could get three opportunities given to me uh, or, I, I, you know, I could earn them in job interview process. That was an indicator that one, I was possibly good at interviews, but two, that I didn't need to stay in environments that that weren't going to nurture and support me. And then I kind of went on to another business. And again, it was a slightly different um, toxic environment in the sense there was a lot of like, we're a family, we look after each other. I'm sorry, but I'm just going to have to interrupt that. Hearing from a company that we're a family is an immediate, like, it's it's a red flag. Yeah. And I think you can be a family with the culture that you have, but if someone's saying that, they're saying it for a reason. Sorry, yeah, go there's on. Yeah, like overcompensation. Yeah, yeah. So there was definitely that, but again, I just I felt like I was thrown into the deep end very quickly, um, and I was I had you know a person that was managing me that was quite absent, um, but would then come in and, and take credit for things and just like small things like when I handed in my notice, they um, rejected it. And they said, I don't think you've thought this through and said, no, they wouldn't accept it. And, you know, when you reflect, I was reflecting back after our chat around this. And I was like, that was really bizarre. You know, I couldn't imagine ever doing that to my own members of staff. But again, it was that kind of like, you don't know what you're doing. Like, yeah, you need to go. Just an extension of the way they've been treating you. Right. And and that the, the lead up to that was that I'd been told I was, you know, overperforming. I was doing exceptionally well. I was at the (laughs) highest level of my level. Uh, and I was absolutely set for a pay rise, absolutely set for promotion. And literally about two months before, I remember just saying, just want to check everything's all on and we're all good for that. Is there anything else I need to be doing? Which is a really important tip to yeah. anyone who's been promised promotion, always stay on them and make sure you're checking in. And um, that it was a gaslighting experience, which I wish I'd have, like the phrase gaslighting was as I like, know, because you, you could just, you could just, gives you a sense of closer, it. doesn't it? But um, yeah, they were just like, oh, like, what are you talking about? They're like, oh no, you're like so far off that. You've got so much more to do. And it was such a like, it was honestly like we'd not had this conversation and it was it was really difficult at the time, exactly to your point. Like, how do you not let it erode your confidence and how do you not let it be like, oh, have I made this up in my head? Mm. Have I completely imagined mm. this? And I knew I hadn't. Like, there was paperwork to show that I hadn't. And so that, would, that again, was the, the catalyst to me going to explore what else was happening and what other options could be offered. And in classic true style like many businesses as soon as I handed in my notice there were four different people that stopped me it was like the MD the finance director all these people and um, I remember them literally saying we'll give you whatever money and whatever title and I was like literally too late like Mm. you could have followed through on the promise um, but now this just this does, no, like this, yeah, was, a little bit too, little and too I think late. maybe I, I probably have quite a lot of pride in situations where I just believe businesses should treat you how you deserve to be treated whilst you're whilst there. you're in the company yeah. and whilst you're doing amazing work because the minute they say no or they gaslight you or they do anything in that respect it's very hard for an employee 
to stay motivated and happy working yeah. there. And I think because I, I, I was very emotionally invested in my work. I, I loved my job. I loved the advertising industry. I, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm working in a cool industry kind of vibe. For me, it really, it was my work. Yeah, it's not just I about free lunches. so much. <laughs> so I think it was like a double blow yeah. when that happened. But yeah, I mean, absolutely experienced it. And I often joke, maybe I was the common denominator because it happened in a few businesses. But I think, you know, it is those situations where you just realize that you have to take control of your own situation because mm. no one is coming to save you. And actually, this is your career. This is your ambitions. And you will kick yourself if you look back and stay in an environment that just doesn't allow you to explore those ambitions or achieve them. Mm. Completely, completely. I think it's just like taking the time to like reflect and understand what your situation is and like realizing that you have an opportunity to get out there. Like like we talked about before, as simple as just like, let's say browsing LinkedIn to understand like what roles are out there. Is it a good job market? Like, can you actually just take a leap and jump and it's leave the toxic environment? It's a as well because yeah. it's just such an important like pressure test to see what else is out there yeah. and you know it may be that you're a designer in the food industry and in the graphic design industry you could get paid double so then it's about like weighing up totally what's more important to you or maybe you mm-hmm. can get better flexi time if you're working in I'm not going to say the fashion industry but another yeah. industry in comparison to what you're working so if nothing else it's always to scope out what is available and how you might be able to negotiate a better package even if you do stay at the company mm, yeah because there's also something like to that confidence piece like having interviews and getting really great feedback about your cv and your experience and then actually hearing that from somewhere else i think it really helps with that confidence piece um what I wanted to sort of touch on next um, is something that I sort of briefly mentioned in my episode zero and something that you talk about in the kind of early chapters of your book and something that I struggle with myself. And that's the idea of social comparison and the impacts that kind of has on you. I guess I love what you say about feeling the pressure of needing to lust after being a self-made entrepreneur. Like I really resonated with that because I'm the kind of person who constantly goes back and forth between the idea of, oh, I need to like, you know, work in a company, work my way up to CMO, run a big global firm versus like maybe starting something for my own. Mm -hmm. And I think it's hard to not get swept up in the idea of comparison, especially with social media, I guess. We look at people and we focus on say like the best in the biz and we compare ourselves to someone who's been working for 40 years and has achieved all these amazing things. I guess, how do you think this impacts our expectations, kind of short-term goals and like how do you use people to inspire you without creating kind of these ridiculous standards that you need to live up to? I always advise people to strategically compare yourself, not negatively compare yourself. So only ever look at someone else's success as a, how do I get there? Who are they working with? What are they talking about? What have they worked on? What do they share on social media? Like assess what they're doing that you admire or the things that you'd like to be achieving that they might be. And really do it from a, how could I get to that point versus why am I not? Yeah. And when I was writing my book and I was really thinking about this, this is such a common topic and it still is now, three years later, I talked about three stages of envy. So there's um, just straight up envy, which is I'm jealous that that person has got that. Then there is like jealousy, resentment envy, where you're kind of looking like, I don't even know why they got that promotion because I'm 10 times better than them. And and that's when it starts to be a bit of a difficult um, discussion. And you're sort of, getting quite negative about someone else. And then there's like fantasy envy where you're like jealous of things that you don't even want, but Mm. you think you should want them exactly to your point. 
And I think it's just really, it always comes back to that thing about what do you want to achieve? What do you care about? What do you want people to say about you? Because, of course, I like look at influence and think, oh, yeah, I'd love a jet plane that yeah. just takes me around the world <laughs> and I don't have to worry about ever buying clothes again or whatever. But at the end of the day, like, you don't you don't always want those things in reality. And Annie Duke is this really great uh, poker player and she talks about knowing when to quit. Mm. And she was talking about, like, there's nothing worse than um, comparing yourself to other people, hoping that you get the success that they have, for you to then get that success and realise it's not, not what really you right. ever wanted. And it's so true. And I think, you know, I've been in that situation where you look on social media and you see these, like, you know, glamorous dinners where, you know, influencers and founders go along and I'm like, oh, I want to be invited to that. <laughs> I go along to that and then it's like on the train on the way home you're having to post like 30 photos and you're having and it's like and I, I remember doing it once and like obsessing over how these photos are looked and I was just like this isn't you like this isn't why you got into this this is not your purpose like this is an aspect of a world that we are so easily sold is the dream mm. when actually it's like this isn't me using my skills this isn't me helping people around the world this is purely a vanity thing that I want to be wanted in those environments and I think that's why it's so important to know why you're doing what you're doing and especially from a self-promotion perspective because you could find yourself promoting yourself in all the wrong ways and then ultimately attracting the wrong opportunities that don't serve you and that don't utilize your skills because once you get past those glossy things that you think you want you start to realize that there's not much there and we talked about it mm. didn't we about success and the, the fact that you can get right to the top of that mountain, but mm. if there's nobody there to support you whilst you're there, it's rubbish. Yeah. And if you've got no way to get back down and there's no other routes that you're excited about, you're just stuck at the top of this mountain. So it is that thing around like, yes, I know it's really easy to compare on social media. I'm not saying I don't do it. But what I do hate to see is people getting so lost in other people's lives that it actually just detracts from their own. And, mm. and ultimately, like, nobody benefits when, when you do that to yourself. Yeah, I think I love the idea, like, and I want to talk about it later, is, like, having kind of a core mission and a core purpose, like, whether it is your core mission and core purpose for your career or it is, you know, your, the business that you're starting or whatever it may be, I think making sure that you're always bringing everything back to like what's that guiding principle and how do you make sure that you're working towards things that match that rather than, like you say, these vanity things. And to be fair, this kind of brings us on to something that I wanted to talk about next and it's probably the area that I struggle with, self-comparison. Um, you have achieved some amazing goals in your career, um, whether that is the Forbes 30 Under 30 piece, which um, is amazing, writing a debut book, you know, hosting the TEDx talk, all of which are goals that people might, you know, lust after for half of their career. What I want to understand is like, what did it mean for you to achieve these goals? And like, is it as glamorous as we've led to believe? I mean, we just sort of talked about the idea of like, chasing after things but um yeah I just love to hear your kind of perspective on what is the behind the scenes of achieving stuff like that yeah I think for me like if we take the book for example I it was never in my trajectory like I never thought I was going to write a book I didn't think my writing was very good nobody's ever celebrated me in that way I created a really amazing community that drew a really organic sort of word of mouth audience that people were just really excited about this new perspective so when I was approached to write the book I sort of said thanks but no thanks and hung up because I was like oh no that that's not in my plan I had no plan to do that and it was only when I started to see the impact that fuck being humble was having 
that I realised this is kind of bigger than just events in East London. You know, mm-hmm. this is actually, there's a potential to help a lot more people and spread this message further and wider. And so, you know, it was a great opportunity, but I was so out of my depth. Yeah. Like, I think it's really important to say, like, the only benefit I had was because I had three existing talks, they became the structure of the first few chapters. So it was kind of easy for me to start, which I actually mm. think the starting can yeah, be Yeah, I know, like, how the hell do you start a book? How do you start a book? But it was, yeah, it's 60,000 words. It's a lot of words. I had eight months to write it alongside my full-time job. I was Sounds like university like nine or nine. Like, it, was, it was very intense. Um, and I had huge amounts of imposter syndrome, especially because my book was meant to come out in May, but because of the pandemic, it actually came out in September. So I had this like extended period of like freaking out, basically. Mm. And I still to this day can't read much of the book, I'm cringing <laughs> inside. And there's a lot of things I'm like, oh, I wish I'd have said it differently and all of those things. But I think, um, you know, one of the hard things for me and my personal success with, with Fuck Being Humble has been it, a lot of it was done in lockdown a lot of those big moments so uh, the book came out in lockdown which was quite anticlimactic I didn't get to have a launch launch, uh... all those things the TEDx talk I had to write the script um, practice it record it in one week and film it by myself I already hated video content and I would say if I had the opportunity to do it now I'd feel so much more confident because I've had all of lockdown where I was doing reels and stuff but I was at the very start of embracing that video journey so you know I struggled with sharing that TEDx talk because I didn't think it was very good and all of those sort of perfectionist moments Mm. so I think like you know the Forbes thing as well like I nominated myself for Forbes under 30 I'm very open about that I think it's important that I share that side to it and that's probably the, the, the the one thing that worked out as I wanted when it wanted sort of thing whereas all of the other successes they've been amazing but they have come with their challenges along the way and I think behind whether it's pandemic or no pandemic I'm sure everyone goes through very similar experiences of it not being as romantic as you think Mm. it's going to be and I think that's just the reality of like perseverance right like I, I think it could have been very easy for me to be like oh there's a my business is not going to make it through this global pandemic that we're going through. And, you know, it could have been very easy for me to just pack up and give up. But actually these successes came from that perseverance. And I think whilst they might not have been in the fairy tale settings that I would have liked, I'm still super proud of, of all of them. I think it's something that, especially with my business where I'm teaching people self-promotion works, mm it's really important for me to show how I've actually done that myself. So it's really nice to have tangible examples of how I have really put myself out there, not enjoyed the process, not always loved it or felt like I was the expert in it, but have seen positive results from it. Mm. Because I think sometimes we just need that glimmer of hope from one person telling that story that actually we can relate to and we can connect with. I didn't go to a private school. I didn't have a black book of contacts that could walk me into the ad industry. Like a lot of what I've built has been from the bottom up with no funding, no guidance, you know? So I think sometimes it is important to hear these success stories from people who didn't have everything sort of clearly mapped out. And I think that's the thing that we were talking about. Yeah. Like, having this plan your plans can just change so quickly and it's it's okay to go with that and I think when we have too much plan and too much structure that's when we can be disappointed when we're not reaching the goals at the right pace yeah I think it's that expectations piece right like you're you can set goals but like you need to be able to like realize expectations gonna have to change because life happens COVID happens all these different things happen and it can impact the way in which 
your path happens and what you're achieving and what you're at what time. I saw a TikTok earlier today that kind of reminds me of what you're saying. And the whole concept was basically like you're one uncomfortable moment away from something that you're going to be really happy about. And I think that's something that has just stuck with me because I'm like, whether it's writing a debut book and like, you know, not knowing if you're going to be able to do it or going in and asking for a pay rise, like it's that small moment of un- uncomfortableness that is going to push you further. And I think that's really cool. There's a really good book. Um, called six figure women i think that i read which again i would just want to say read the books and the content that you think is so far removed from you because i remember reading a book about becoming a six figure woman and i was like oh my gosh i'm like nowhere near this but it is really important to put yourself in that situation of like what those high achievers are doing or what those people with the top successes are doing because it's it helps you to see that future for yourself but in that they say discomfort is temporary but the payoff can be extraordinary Mm -hmm. And I really love that because I think so much of the reason we don't do self-promotion, we don't advocate for ourselves is because that temporary discomfort is somehow in your head Mm. outweighing the payoff. But actually it's not. It's so not like the results that you see. It's like going to the gym, right? Yeah. You know, in January, I'm so, I'm so that person. In January, I get all my new kit. I go to classes every week yeah. and then I just fizzle out. And that's why I don't feel like in my best health all year round or I don't love it when I go on holiday. And I think it is the same thing with self-promotion and advocating for yourself is that actually we have to be flexing those muscles all year round so that it doesn't feel like we're just dipping in our toes and we're just doing it every now and then. Mm. It's it's really important to, to get past that discomfort piece and just embrace it in different forms. Mm-hmm. And before we move on to talking about self-promotion, because I definitely want to get there, I want to just ask, like, you know, after you've achieved some of these amazing things, what do you do next? Because I think from personal experience, I have chased down promotions, chased down, you know, salaries. Then on the other side of it being like, okay, well, like, what the hell do I do now? How do you find the motivation to keep going and constantly readjusting your goals as you're kind of ticking off all of these, like, different things that you've worked so hard to achieve? I think it's a really good question. And I think particularly as a founder, you don't have those that support system um, of like a boss pushing you in a direction or business objectives that you need to meet where you kind mm. of have that framework a bit or that guidance. Mm. I think as a founder, it's difficult. And I would say like every year I have a little wobble where I'm like, oh, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. What do I want the business to be? And, and I think it's really important and normal to, to ex- share that because mm. actually... I think people just think, oh, there's a clear mission and they're just doing that. And actually, you're always innovating. You're always coming up with your own briefs. I find personally what's been really helpful for me is like definitely getting into inspiring rooms and situations, going to conferences, being in meetings, speaking to clients about some of the things they're struggling with. Because when you're always trying to self-initiate what that next thing is, it can feel really draining. Um, And so I think for me, it's like it isn't like chasing that. I want the TED talk. It's more about like, what's going to get me to that? What level of work is going to get me to that point that I'm excited about? Mm. Because, you know, you can try and achieve these big goals, but, and then look back, like you said, and then you'd be like, oh, is this it? <laughs> so you have to enjoy the journey when you're doing it. Otherwise it's just a really long journey and it, you end up being like quite disappointed at the end. So I think it is really important to find ways for you to, you know, find unique ways of either telling your story or doing your work or innovating new ways to deliver things or whatever it is that you get that spark from but it is important to get out of the environments you're in and go 
inspire yourself with wider global thinking. Like mm. I love reading like Wired magazine it has nothing to do with the career industry, but I just love seeing all the trends that are going in the tech industry and trying to put yourself in different industries that give you that external spark because I think otherwise it can feel very repetitive particularly on social media when you're just seeing the same people Mm. do the same thing I feel like I'm most inspired when I see like a young girl in America who's black who's you know worked with Crayola to she's seven to create crayons that represent the skin tones of black people you know that is like oh my god that's amazing nothing to do with career development but it's giving me that like oh what, mm. what would an inspiring product be for fuck being humble? You know, so it's kind of like really important to immerse yourself in lots of different kind of cultures and, and industries to get that. Otherwise, it can feel a bit like oh, I've got to keep doing this. 100%. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Yeah. So... I want to chat about your brand, Fuck Being Humble, and your mission around self-promotion not being a dirty word. Could you share a little bit more around like this mission? And obviously we've talked a little bit about how important it is to have something like that. But I also wonder like how has your career so far and the impact on your self-worth kind of motivated you to pursue a mission like this? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely from my lived experience. And I think it's also from a lot of people's lived experience in the workplace, which is why people relate to it so much, is this idea of like, it's so hard when you work really, really hard for a company, you give everything, and then you feel overlooked and undervalued. And the reason we can often feel like that is because we're in a society where we are more celebrated for being self-deprecating than we are to advocate for ourselves, which baffles me and I am on a mission to absolutely change so for me it's kind of giving those people who've ever experienced that feeling the motivation the empowerment and the ability to say no fuck being humble like I am going to talk about this I am going to share this success I work so hard for this company or for my own business to not share this would be a disservice to me. And I think it's much more, it's important that I say, of course I believe in being humble and of course I believe in humility. But what I hate to see is people being so modest, they miss out on opportunities. And that happens time and time again. So this isn't about you standing on a phone with a mega chair, with a megaphone screaming, standing on a chair with a megaphone saying, I'm so amazing, everybody listen to me. It's more of a mindset. You know, I just want you to say the next time that you want to ask for a promotion or you want to ask for more work or you want to ask more responsibility or you want to pitch yourself, you go, fuck being humble, I've earned this, I deserve it, I'm worth this, all of those things. So it really is more about an unlocking of the mindset that being humble isn't the only way to succeed. And actually, I think if we spoke to a lot of successful people, self-promotion will have got them to where they need to be. Mm And I think when we think about the word humble, I often talk about it that it's more arrogant to think that people are at home typing in my name on the internet, stephaniesawdwilliams.com, than it is for me to self-promote. And I think we need to get our heads around that, that not self-promoting and assuming that all your opportunity is going to land in your lap is actually more arrogant Mm. than self-promoting itself. And I think especially when you're at the start of your career or the first 10 years of your career, you know, in order to be humble, you know, you can absolutely do that in the early days. But generally when people are humble, it's because they've built a reputation. It's because people know them. They don't have to advocate for themselves. So if someone comes up to me in an event and says, that was amazing, I'm not going to go, yeah, it was. It was pretty brilliant, wasn't it? I was amazing then. Because I've had the experience to understand that. I say, oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you to come. But 
it's because I've built up the awareness of my business and my brand and who I am in order to get to this point. And I think when we're at the start of our career, we think it's better to be quieter, more humble. Oh, I'll blend in. But actually, at the same time, we're saying we want to blend out. And and I think we really do need to be, you know, advocating for ourselves, tooting our own horn, all of those things, because nobody else wants your success more than you do. And I think it's so important that we land that with people. Otherwise, they will look back and they will think, why am I not in these situations? And it's because we, we're not the ones driving our own narrative. When you take control of, of your own narrative, at least you know you've done everything you can to get to that success, as opposed to putting the power of your success into other people's hands. Yeah, yeah. I guess no one's going to work as hard for your career and what you want than you are. And that's yeah. really important. I think when I think of self-promotion professionally, my mind can't help but snap to my LinkedIn feed and some people who maybe post a little bit too much. But for me, I'm no stranger to self-promotion and I am a massive oversharer, whether that's LinkedIn, whether that's like Instagram, whether that's sitting down for a coffee and telling you everything that I've done that day. I'd love to understand like for people who aren't massive oversharers and aren't that way inclined, what are your golden rules, I guess, for you know using self-promotion as a way to get that promotion or get that new job? Yeah, I think... I was actually, I did a talk earlier today around this. There are lots of different ways that you can self-promote in the workplace, online. And it, it is definitely about you deciding what you feel is most comfortable. So let's say you're waiting for a call to start on Zoom. Yes, you could talk about Love Island last night or the pasta you made and how great it was. Or if someone says, how's your week going? You could say, really good, actually. We just got great feedback from one of our clients and it was so happy. They're so happy because it's been a bit of a stress, but we've really, really got to a good point. And just in one sentence, in 10 seconds, you've self-promoted. So I think often we look at self-promotion as this big, scary thing. Oh, I need to sit down and have this formal chat with my boss. And of course you'll have that in, you know, internal appraisals. But the more regular you can regular sort of self-promotion you can do check-ins with your boss on it every week or sending an email update the more kind of like natural it becomes and it just becomes part of your weekly process as opposed to being this thing that you add on and I think you know for anyone who's not necessarily would normally self-promote I think it's just important to think about like what are your goals of self-promotion what are you trying to achieve because that will help you to stay on top of it and to keep doing it. Mm. So at the bare minimum, every Friday, just put in 30 minutes in your diary where you reflect on two or three things you've done that week that you're happy with. And it's so important that I say it does not need to be huge successes. Mm. I spoke to someone recently who was like, I was really struggling to think of a success when you asked me to do this. And actually when I said it, I was like, look, it could just be having a difficult conversation with someone. It could be taking your lunch break every week was a success. You know, it could be finishing work on time so you can spend time with your kids like we don't have to look at self-promotion as these big epic i brought in a million pounds linkedin like content so i think at the bare minimum just do your regular self-reflection and then i think you know just experiment with channels do you feel comfortable posting on linkedin would you like to add value to others by sharing case studies or successful uh, campaigns or things on linkedin that have been really inspiring because that's you self-promoting you're promoting your voice but you're adding value to other people and that's probably one of my biggest tips whenever people are worried about bragging or coming across as self-indulgent is with any form of self-promotion just add a piece of advice add a tip 
add a recommendation because then what you're doing is taking your self-promotion from just being about you to adding value to other people so I think just simple things like that but also think about how you want to be seen in the workplace so you know do you want to build communities internal internally at the workplace because that will build your reputation or do you want to be like someone who connects people and is a networker because that will also help you with self-promotion and I think like understand the kind of um, profile you want to have to to select what type of self-promotion is most relevant and beneficial I am by no means saying anybody needs to do TikTok videos I always (laughs) say to people you're better choosing the form of self-promotion that sells you in the best possible way than you trying to do a TikTok video and and it being awful and you being hating every second because people will see it right so choose the forms of self-promotion that make you look good that's just like a no-brainer and whatever you feel is you know most relevant to your tone and voice how authentic you feel there is no right or wrong and the best thing I can say is just start Mm, I love it and um, for anyone who wants to learn more about Steph's kind of ethos around that I definitely recommend your book I know I read it in like what like 24 hours or something like that cover to cover Um, and it's it's really engaging it's written in a really fun tone I think there's a lot of like great tips you can take out of that Um, now we're coming to a close but started our conversation talking about failure and kind of understanding like what it means to you and realizing that it is actually a tool that you can use on your journey as it helps you to kind of navigate the ups and the downs, gives you an opportunity to redirect, gives you kind of a greater sense of purpose when you make it over the other of the other side. But I want to finish talking about success. And I know that as someone who's achieved so much in your career so far and will continue to go on to achieve so much, how have you let the definition of success for you kind of guide you throughout your career? It's a really good question. And I think for me, it's always been like, am I enjoying this right now in the moment? I've never really been. And I think because at the start of my career, I was like, when I get to this, I will feel X. So many people, especially people who struggle with anxiety and imposter syndrome, it's often in the future. When I reach this, I will feel this. There's no guarantee of that. So for me personally, it's like, am I enjoying my day to day? And am I adding value in the way that I want to add value? And sometimes, you know, there's been some amazing moments, but one of my first events that I hosted, it was on how to negotiate. And I delivered the talk in East London. And then the next day I was on my lunch break and my office was close to the event venue. Someone tapped my shoulder and was like, I just want to let you know, I came to your event last night and I've already asked my boss for a pay rise. And I honestly cried in the shop because I was like, that is to me is more exciting than working with a big global brand because you've literally taken what I shared with you less than 24 hours and you've put it into place. And, you know, the book reviews I get, the feedback, oh, I've just tripled my salary off that advice on chapter seven and, and starting businesses and someone voice noted me about a job application recently and they were gone through 10 interviews and I was like, oh, wow. And they asked me what to do in their final interview. I gave them voice note back and she messaged me to say they've just signed a contract. So I think for me, it's like, it's knowing that what I'm saying is still making an impact. And especially with the book, it's been out, it's coming up to three years now, it came out in 2020. To still get the messages I get about the book, to still hear people say they're enjoying it and stuff like I think feedback in our work is so important. And I think that's something I struggled with when I worked full time. I'd work on these big TV adverts for a year 
it'd go down to 30 seconds and you'll know 30 seconds it's on air for two weeks and people be like yeah it's good and then you go again and I think just as an individual my love language or you know my career love language is definitely that feedback so to know that I'm changing people's lives is my success and I don't care if there's 10 people in a room or there's 2,000 people in a room if nobody if it's not linking up with anyone then it doesn't really matter so I think what I've realized is that you can win awards you can you know get big milestones but actually I think it's it's the feedback you get from the people that you're helping is is just way much way more heartfelt and maybe I'm a bit cheesy but I just I kind of feel that and especially with like dream clients I've reached a lot of my dream client milestones and people have been like oh it's epic and then you do the event and you're like okay cool so it's actually just like any other event and like I love working with the amazing people that I have but for me it's like when I go give a talk and I'm speaking to young people who are trying to break the industry and they're from say working class backgrounds so they don't have access and they're like oh my god I'm gonna go start this business and you know from one chat and you that's what I get most excited by so I think yeah for me it's like just knowing that what I'm doing is making impact because essentially as soon as it stops then my job is kind of redundant right and I think it's important that I'm always searching for ways to keep supporting people in new ways so that I'm excited and my brain's being used but at the same time the objective or the mission is being met and you know I hope it will continue to do that for a while but before we wrap up in the spirit of self-promotion I'd love for you to share like what's 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 next for you what's your next big milestone what are you working towards like what's next for fuck being humble and Steph Sword Williams so with fuck being humble um i suppose what's coming up this year is i'm speaking in new york which is exciting so i'm taking fuck being humble to america for the first time which will be really exciting because that's definitely been on a vision board for a while and continuing to do more larger scope projects so i'm working with l'oreal on a big project on how to end um or how to close the confidence gap amongst young women um and that's a three-year partnership i'm working hopefully with the UN on a project. So for me, I'm kind of looking at these longer term, bigger impact initiatives that are going to have a longer term sort of impact. And then I suppose Steph Sword Williams or other things, I actually started a second community called This Might Help, which is all around helping people who are helping who are, who are struggling through mental health and trauma. And so that's something that is a really close passion project. So that's something I'm going to be moving my time towards is hosting and facilitating discussions around how we can support people who might be struggling with mental health issues, and especially for those who don't have the support themselves. Um, so that's something that's really exciting, and that that I've just been through a rebrand on that, which I'm excited about. But yeah, I try and like I'm when we spoke, I'm very transparent of like I don't have a five year plan I don't have a 10 year plan I don't really have a year long plan I, I'm very open to the opportunities that either come to me or an idea that I might have on the bus on the way home tonight and it's more about actioning those when I have them as opposed to sort of like putting them this pipeline that I should do this in three years time mm. when I've got x amount of experience so yeah I'm sure there'll be lots of things but I don't have them all all figured out right now and I'm actually fine with that I'm I love that I love that goes. that's a good message thank you so much it's been incredible to chat to you and kind of hear all about your career and the advice that you can share and obviously self-promotion um thank you Steph no thank you it's been so nice to chat thank you thanks so much for listening to today's episode of to whom I may concern if you liked what you heard from Steph like you can follow her on Instagram at fuck being humble and if you want to learn more about her ethos around self-promotion and how you can self-promote to success I'm going to add the link to buy her book in the show notes and I really recommend checking it out because it's a pretty easy great read 
But if you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and joining me on this journey and together we can learn how to better navigate our careers. You can also listen to the podcast in all the places that you listen to podcasts. But if you're like me and prefer video content, you can catch up on episodes on YouTube. Join me over at Instagram at the To Whom It May Concern pod, where I'll be sharing bonus content, episode release dates, and giving you the opportunity to also join in on the conversation. Thanks so much for joining. And until next time, kind regards, Maddie Riley. Mighty Riley.